we're super excited this morning. We have some heroes of the faith with us. Uh, Jim and Esther Mazurik are here. They're missionaries to Chile. I met Jim a long time ago when I was pastoring, and Amy and I were pastoring in Ordway. We met him at a district council and got to hang out with them and uh, started to love their heart and love what they do. Uh, they've been working in Chile, and they've actually got two sisters with them that are going to give a, a greeting as well. So would you give a big Calvary welcome this morning to Jim and Esther Mazurik, our missionaries? Wow. Thank you so much. Good morning. Good morning, everyone. Pastor Rex, where you go? You learned that from Howard Cummings, I'll bet. Good morning, everyone. It is such a blessing, such a delight to be back in Lexington. It's just always a, a joy, a blessing to be here. My name is Jim Mazurik. My wife Esther and I are your missionary servants in the nation of Chile. And we are here today to say a huge thank you, an enormous muchas gracias, for well over 30 years of faithful partnerships that we have enjoyed with this church. Uh, give yourselves a hand for that. That is just so wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Um, what Pastor X was just talking about, uh, putting tools in the hand of this pastor over in Madagascar. Only eternity will tell the story of what became, what happened because of the utility of that tool in the hands of a capable pastor to create ministry tools to go throughout that nation. Thank you so much, guys, for what you're doing. Praise the Lord. For BGMC, Life of the Lost, Feed the Light, all of them. Thank you so much. Uh, quickly, I want to introduce my lovely wife, Esther. Esther This is my lovely wife, Esther. And this is a special blessing because just last Thursday, two ladies from our ministry in Chile flew up to spend a few weeks visiting us up here. It's their first time in the United States, and this is the first church building they have stepped in in over a year because of COVID lockdown. Hermanas de pie, por favor. This is Lisette and Julia. Gracias. Les decía, este es el primer templo en que han entrado en más de un año por la COVID. This is the first service that they have actually been in physically that wasn't just an online thing since early March of last year. Because in Chile, our buildings are still shut down till this day. Till this very day in Chile, you can only leave your home twice a week and only with police permission for up to three hours at a time to go to the store, to see a doctor, or whatever you have to do. Otherwise, you are basically under house arrest. We've been doing this for over a year. It's driving people insane, trust me. Pray for us that we'll have a release from, from, from this pandemic and its effects. Well, I gotta get on. Uh, number one, please. I have a little video I wanna share with you real quickly here, just as I report to you a little bit about what we're doing in our ministry. Chile is that long, skinny country on the western edge of South America. Look, if I put that over North America, go from Mexico City up to Northern Canada. 
and uh, 3,000 plus miles long, only 100 miles wide. Northern Chile has the world's driest desert, largest mines, and the world's largest telescopes. It's the clearest skies in the world. Central Chile is much like California. It's a land of a lot of uh, agriculture. Big city is 7 million people. The tallest mountain on the Western Hemisphere, over 20,000 feet. Southern Chile, fisherman's paradise. Can you look at that trout? Volcanoes, lakes, and Patagonia goes all the way down towards Antarctica where the whales and the penguins live. It's one of the most beautiful nations in the world. What could go wrong in a place like that? Our problem is our young people. Chile's youth are Latin America's leading consumers of alcohol, tobacco, marijuana, and cocaine. They outdrink the Mexicans, they outsmoke the Brazilians, they outshoot the Colombians by a long shot. We have gangs in the city, and it has turned to violence over the last several years. And we have an anti-Christian uh, uh, mentality of atheism, socialism in their minds. They have destroyed subway stations, all of it. What's the solution? The only solution is to find the kids that are living in at-risk conditions to grow up into this kind of behavior and reach them with the life-transforming gospel of Jesus Christ at the earliest possible age, to teach them Christian values so that they will make smart decisions, to reach them in effective ways, to give them a quality Christian education based on biblical principles and truth, and to bring in the whole family, to win mom and dad and brothers and sisters and not just the kid. That is the solution for these young people so they won't be filled with hatred and self-destructiveness. How are we doing this? The Santiago Children's Ministries Outreach Center. We are doing this, we've been doing this for 25 years, but now we're building a campus of buildings that includes a school, a church, and a Bible college on the southwest side of the city. And we are so helpful, so thankful for the many churches that have come down to work with us. Uh, notably, uh, Bellevue Christian Center in Nebraska has been down, I think, four times to work with us. We're waiting for Lexington to show up, okay? I need your help, guys. Look, we went from that stage to that stage to that stage. Hold it. Look at this. Let me show you where this first face is now. Oops, the lights are on, the windows are in, the door's on. That building is about 90% done. And now we are breaking ground for phase two, which is a three-story brick and steel brick and steel education building, which will be our elementary school and our Bible college. This was taken a year ago, early March last year. We were working on foundations, and then it was precisely Bellevue Christian Center was there just when the COVID hit, and we were able to get them on the last plane leaving the country, just out in the nick of time. But pray for our team that we have still on the ground there in Chile, trying in a subtle way to continue the work. So please pray for us. Please give. Please consider coming down. This next phase is a $300,000 project, the, the school building. And in the meantime, we still have to make payroll for our local construction team who have families to feed, even though we can't be doing much work right now. So again, Thank you, I thank you, thank you for your help and for standing with us. Well, our ministry is a recognized collaborating agency with Chilean Federal Child Protection Services. From time to time, we even rescue kids from the sex trafficking trade. We've rescued them as young as three years of age. And, uh, but we endeavor to reach kids that are in different um, 
dysfunctional situations and see the transforming power of the gospel reach their lives. It'd be wonderful if I had some of those kids with me today, but I, I don't, but I do have a testimonial by one young lady who was the fruit of this ministry. Her name is Esther Sita. You're going to love her. Number two, please, and check out her story. Mi infancia fue eh, más o menos, pero recibí a Cristo y eh, mi vida cambió. Mi vida escolar fue mala porque cuando yo tenía ocho años sufría de epilepsia. Y el motivo me tuvo, me tuvo que sacar del colegio porque me podía dar en la micro, en el trayecto, la epilepsia. Entonces estudiaste hasta el tercero básico. Hasta el tercero básico, hasta los 15 años. Fue una profesional y le decía que al pastor Daniel y a otras personas más que estuvieron ahí presentes, que, era, que no se podía hacer nada porque era una pérdida de tiempo. Y ellos fueron todo lo contrario, me ayudaron, me apoyaron y me, me dieron todo el apoyo. Me ayudaron a hacer clases para poder terminar mis exámenes libres hasta el octavo básico. Y después hacia adelante, después a que ahora terminé mi enseñanza media y ahora tengo un título de, un título de, de gastronomía. De, la, de las personas que están en ese ministerio, el amor que me entregaron y el cariño, el cariño fundamental que me ha entregado cada una de las personas que están en el ministerio. Mis planes para el futuro es seguir estudiando, tener un hogar, mi casa, mi propia casa y trabajar en el ministerio donde crecí. de misiones, mi primer viaje fue maravilloso fuimos a bendecir a otras personas pero fue al revés, porque yo me vine muy bendecida y ya estamos pensando juntando el dinero para poder viajar el próximo año muchas gracias realmente ha sido una gran bendición para el ministerio y personalmente para mí mi visión es se ve un colegio hermoso con tantos niños y con tantas familias que van a ver a Cristo. Esa es mi misión. Y va a haber muchos alumnos que van a estar ahí, necesitan apoyo como lo, lo necesite yo. Mi infancia fue eh, más o menos. Pero recibí a Cristo y mi vida cambió. Would you give the Lord a praise for what he did in the life of Esther Sita?
I want you to meet my wife's sister, Lisette, who is, like I said, in her first church service in over a year, and she is a key partner in this ministry. Lisette, tú haces un trabajo con los papás de los niños que vienen al ministerio. Cuéntenos un poquito cómo es eso. Lisette does, she does ministry with the parents of the children that are coming to the center. I want her to just to share a little bit about what that is like. Bendiciones, hermanos. Tú vas a traducir. Yo llevo 23 años en el ministerio. Y estuve alrededor de 10 años aprendiendo el trabajo con niños, jóvenes y adultos. Pero vimos la necesidad de trabajar con los padres de los niños. I've been helping the ministry for 23 years. And uh, those first 10 years I was working with the children, with the kids of different age levels. But then we saw there was a need to really do more for the parents of the kids that were coming to the center. Una cosa era predicarle a los niños, y otra cosa era predicarle a sus padres, porque sus padres no conocían el Evangelio. It's one thing to work with the kids. It's another thing to work with the parents. <laughs> and the parents knew nothing of the gospel. Así estuve por muchos años, y después de eso, en la ciudad de Rancagua, a una hora de la capital de Chile, comencé un nuevo ministerio, CMM. And so that was how the Lord used me. And then some years after that, I was able to be used of the Lord to open our second campus in another city, 60 miles south of the capital city, in the city of Rancagua, where I live. We opened our second campus for the children's ministry. Y así estamos hasta ahora. Ya no podemos reunirnos por el COVID, pero lo estamos haciendo por internet eh, todos los miércoles y los sábados. So that's how we're doing right now on that campus. We can't meet in our building, but uh, through internet, we're doing ministries on Wednesdays and Saturdays with the folks. That's it. Thank you so much. Gracias. Praise the Lord. Listo. Gracias. Gracias. When you uh, step out of the building today, uh, please stop by a table that uh, Pastor Rex has set up for us there, where we have literature for you folks that talks all about our ministry, what's going on, and how you can help. Uh, please take one of these leaflets that explains about our ministry, about our construction project, and so on. And even, why don't you take one of these for someone that doesn't even go to church? But maybe they care for kids. And they would be interested in knowing about this, and maybe they would help too. And uh, also, don't forget the prayer card, okay? I have two versions of this, one with contact info on the back, and another one here has the magnet strip on the back. So you can put this on the fridge, okay? So, Sister Maston, I need you to put this on the fridge there, okay? So some night when Don is raiding the fridge... The Holy Spirit just might say, Don, put down the rocky road and pray for Jim and Esther right now. <laughs> Can I count on you to do that, hon? Okay. And, and all the ladies said? All right. Thank you. Praise the Lord. So there's plenty out there on the table. Help yourself, please. Clean me out. I don't want to take anything home with me. Thank you so much. Number three, guys. Um, I want to share with you a quickly uh, a thought from the word of the Lord in Psalm 87. Psalm 87. Um, do I get to see that up there, guys, or not? 
No, it doesn't. Okay, all right. Psalm 87, it's a psalm of the sons of Korah. I'm using the New International Version. And it's a short little psalm, seven verses long, and it goes like this. He has founded his city on the holy mountain. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the other dwellings of Jacob. I will record Rahab and Babylon among those who acknowledge me. Philistia too and Tyre along with Cush and will say, this one was born in Zion. Indeed of Zion it will be said, this one and that one were born in her. And the Most High himself will establish her. The Lord will write in the register of the peoples, this one was born in Zion. As they make music, they will sing, all my fountains are in you. Bow your heads with me and let's pray. Father, we thank you in Jesus' name for the freedom, the privilege, the opportunity we enjoy to gather together here in Lexington in this house of worship, to be in fellowship with one another, to worship and praise your name together, and most of all, to hear your word, to sit at your table. Thank you, Father, for this amazing blessing. Now, Lord, just free our minds from all that would distract us. Help us to focus our attention on your word. Speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Before I get into the text, I want to just talk a little bit about the Psalms of the sons of Korah. This says at the top there in your Bible, you can see it says a Psalm of the sons of Korah. Who were the sons of Korah? Stay, just, whoop, what happened? Okay, well, anyway, I'll keep going. You'll catch up. The Psalms are a wonderful part of the Bible because it's how people respond to what God has said and done to them. The communication is from down here up to there. As people are thanking the Lord for what he has done, what he has said as they are praising him, or sometimes they're expressing fear, confusion, doubt, but it's a prayer book. Have you ever been in a moment where you did not know really what to say, but you opened your Bible and you found a psalm and you let the psalm do the talking for you? You know what I'm talking about? That's what it's there for. The psalms are a channel to help us express ourselves to the Lord. That's why they're in the scriptures. But there are some special psalms where all of a sudden the psalmist is talking about things that maybe he really didn't know where that came from. prophesying. The Holy Spirit is just moving that person to prophesy because there are psalms that prophesy about the, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus, for example. And the New Testament brings that out. Well, this is one of those psalms. It's a prophetic psalm. And with psalms, it's always good to know a little bit about the author. And it says here, of the sons of Korah. Well, there are at least a dozen, maybe as many as 20 psalms in the Bible that have that title, of the sons of Korah. Who was Korah? Well, you'll remember this from your Bible studies. It's found in number 16. Korah was a Levite. He was a priest. And uh, he's a pretty famous guy in Israel. 
That name Cora had a long-lasting effect. Let, let me demonstrate here, okay? You high school kids pay attention. You're going to learn something now. Okay, I want all the adults in the room to help me now. I'm going to mention a name from American history, and I want you to yell back to me in a loud voice the first word that comes to your mind. Okay? Okay. Um, how old are you, hon? Huh? Okay, listen, 16, you're going to learn something now, okay? <laughs> listen up. Okay, adults, you're with me. I'm going to say a name from U.S. history, and you're going to yell back to me the first word that comes to your mind. And check it out, 16, they're all going to say the same word. <laughs> are you ready for this? Okay, are you fo folks, are you with me? Here's the name from American history. Yell back to me the first thing that comes to your mind. Benedict Arnold. What'd you think? <laughs> Pretty cool, huh? If we were in Jerusalem today, and you were a bunch of Israelis, Jewish people, and I yelled out the word Korah, I'd get the same response. Traitor. Till this day, that name means traitor. Because he was a traitor. He was the fellow that led the insurrection against Moses. When Moses came down from the mountain with all the instructions about the law and the tabernacle and the Ark of the Covenant and the feasts and the offerings and blah, 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 and he's getting it all set up and he's telling the Levites what their jobs are, there was this one line of Levites called the Kohathites, and their job, they had two jobs basically, they were burden bearers. When they marched in the wilderness, they had to carry on their shoulders the holy relics, the holy things that could not be put on a cart, like the Ark of the Covenant, the, the laver, the, the candlestick, and so forth. And they pulled guard duty. They were doorkeepers. They were the doorkeepers in the tabernacle. They were security guards. And this guy, Korah, didn't like it. Everything Moses said, he disagreed with. And he says, why, don't, why just the Levites? Let's have, all, let's have a rotation system. All the tribes get to be priests. We'll all take turns. And just anything that Moses said, he didn't agree with it. And he was stirring up an insurrection. And it got finally to the point where God said to Moses, hey, tell everyone to stand back. Get away from this guy. And there's just Korah and his buddies standing in the middle of the open space. And what happened? God sent a big old earthquake. And the ground cracked open right beneath their feet. And it spread wide open. And down they go. And the ground closed. And the earthquake stopped. And that was the end of the problem. Our God is an awesome God. And that name, Korah, lived on and still lives today in infamy in Judaism. Traitor. But on the day that that happened, his wife and his little children, they were off to the side. They had nothing to do with it. So his kids grew up, and, he, and his grandkids grew up. But they were always tagged with that title, Sons of Korah. How would that work on your resume? You know, descendant of Benedict Arnold, you know. <laughs> it wouldn't work too well. But, but Korah was his name. I mean, even the book of Jude, before Revelation, 
Jude is talking about false prophets, and he's comparing them to bad guys from the Old Testament. In one verse, he picks out three. In verse 7, he says, Woe unto them, because they have followed the way of Cain. Remember Cain and Abel? For prophet, they have rushed headlong into the rebellion of Balaam. The error of Balaam. Balaam, the false prophet. And then he says, they perished in the rebellion of Korah. And 1,500 years later, he's still talking about Korah, and everybody knew who he was talking about. But there's this group of people that are labeled sons of Korah. Not the greatest label to have. But guess what? In time, they discovered that God was right. And that God's will for them was perfect. And they, in time, embraced their ministry as priests and as the doorkeepers of the temple. When the temple of Solomon was built, it was the sons of Korah who were the doorkeepers. There were doors in the north, south, east, west, four men at each door, except for the eastern gate that had six. Rotation system 24-7, sons of Korah were the guard. I don't know if there are some sons of Korah or daughters of Korah walking around the premises right now. Maybe so. And if you can hear us, folks, thank you for your service. We love you. We thank you. But in time, the sons of Korah discovered they had a special gift. You know what it was? Writing songs. They wrote psalms. At least a dozen psalms, maybe as many as 20 in your Bible, are by the sons of Korah. Can any of you quote for me one of the psalms of the sons of Korah? Oh, come on. You can do this. This is easy. Next slide, please. How about this one? As the deer pants after the water brook, so my soul pants after you, O God. Psalms 42. You knew that one, didn't you? That's written by the sons of Korah. Or how about this next one? Great is Jehovah. And greatly to be praised in the city of our God, in the mountain of his holiness, beautiful on high, the joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion on the sides of the north, the city of the great king. Stay with me there for a second. There you see the theme that is so present in the Psalms of the sons of Korah. They sang about Mount Zion. They sang about the temple. They sang about their job. Their job was security guards at the temple. They spend all day and all night in the temple. What are the right songs about? Their job. Have you ever written a song about your job? Well, maybe you shouldn't. <laughs> it might make a great country western song, but it might not be the most appropriate one, you know? <laughs> like uh, Johnny Paycheck did, you know? Let's not go there, okay? Uh, next slide here. Let's look at another one. How lovely are your tabernacles, O Jehovah of hosts. My soul longs, yea, even faints for the courts of Jehovah. My heart and my flesh shout for joy to the living God. Even the sparrow has found a house in the swallow, a nest for herself, where she may lay her young. Your altars, O Jehovah of hosts, my king and my God. Blessed are they who dwell in your house. They will still praise you. Selah. Written by the sons of Korah. And they're talking about the blessedness of being in the house of the Lord. Aren't you glad you're in the house of the Lord today? And here he's even talking about even the birds have got this one figured out. There's a little bird building a nest up there, you know. And of all the places that little bird could have gone to build her nest, she picked the house of the Lord. 
pretty smart bird. Sometimes birds are smarter than people. You know? So if they call you a bird brain, don't take it so harsh. It's not that bad of a deal, okay? Um, here's one more. This is classic son of Korah, okay? It doesn't get better than this. Check this out. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I'd rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. Psalm 84.10. And so that's what their job was. They were the doorkeepers. They were not the priests that took the things to the altar and made, no. They were just on guard duty. That was it. And they loved it. Folks, never argue with God about his will. When God tells you, my will is this, just embrace it. Go for it. Love it. Trust me, God has better ideas than we do. Every time. Every time. Don't fight his will, his callings, his desire. Now, let's go to this Psalm 87. Now that we know a little bit about these writers, the sons of Korah. In this psalm, there are only seven verses, but there are three great big truths here. The first truth, and all the truths have to do with Mount Zion. Mount Zion, where the temple is. That's the topic. And the first truth is Zion is unique. The first three verses, it says this. He has founded his city on the holy mountain. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the other dwellings of Jacob. Glorious things are said of you, city of God. What is he saying? This is the place. This is the focal point of the love of God. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the other dwellings of Jacob. Why? Because this is where the temple is. This is where the Shekinah glory of God dwells above the mercy seat, above the Ark of the Covenant and the Holy of Holies in the temple. That's where it is. Back in the day, back in those time, in the Old Testament time, you wanted to have an encounter with God, you went to Jerusalem. You went to Zion. You went to the temple. That's where the glory was. Don't waste your time going down to Egypt. Don't bother over in Babylon. Don't go to Syria. Don't go anywhere else. Don't waste your time. There's only one place in the whole world where you can have that encounter with God where his presence is dwelling, and that is Mount Zion. That's the way it was back then. That's why all the Jewish people had to make pilgrimages every year and come and worship there at Mount Zion. And Yom Kippur and the Feast of the Tabernacles and the Passover and the Day of Atonement and so on. Zion is unique. There's only one. Nothing else like it. Anywhere in the world. That's what the man is saying. Now we get to the second big verse, the second big truth here. And this is where the prophetic part kicks in. Check this out. What he says is, Zion is unique, yeah, but Zion is for everyone. Now, look at what this man says. And for a Jew to say these things is pretty radical, okay? He said, I will record Rahab and Babylon among those who acknowledge me. This is God speaking now. Philistia too, and Tyre, along with Cush, and will say, this one was born in Zion. 
Indeed of Zion it will be said, this one and that one were born in her, and the Most High himself will establish her. The Lord will write in the register of the peoples, this one was born in Zion. And that's a pretty radical thing, because in this verse, he's going down this list of all these nations that historically had been the enemies of Israel. Rahab, that has to do with Egypt. It, where they had been enslaved for 400 years. Babylon was the empire that would later come and destroy the city. Philistia too, uh, the, the Philistines. Remember Goliath, the, the Philistine giant. The Philistines were always giving the, the, the people of Israel a warfare and a, and a hard time. And so uh, Tyre, that's where the capital of the Phoenicians, that's where Queen Jezebel came from, that wicked, evil queen that filled all the land of Israel with Baal worship. She came from Tyre. And the man is talking about all these things, but he says, there's a day coming when God is going to say about these nations, they acknowledge me. And I will write it down. I will record in the record of the peoples, this one was born in Zion. I mean, this couldn't have made any sense to the poor guy when he first wrote this down because it's prophecy. He's saying there's a day coming. From his perspective as a temple doorkeeper, security guard at the temple, where you're going to see a guy coming up the road and you can just tell from a distance this is a Babylonian army officer. You can tell it by the banners and the shield and the, all the symbolism in his uniform. And he's trudging up the road, getting close to the gate, and the son of Korah is ready there to stand at the fence. And just when the Babylonians getting close, there's a big voice that booms out and says, let the man in, he was born here. What do you mean he was born here as a Babylonian for crying out loud? He was born again. He was born here. I wrote him down in the book myself. Let the man in. Can you say praise the Lord? Do you see where this psalm is going? Or he's visioning, there's a Philistine, a dude 10 feet tall coming up the road. Philistine. And son of Korah is calling for reinforcement. Man, this, this, is, this dude is huge. And they are braced, ready for the fight, and the Philistine gets closer and closer, getting up to the gate, and a loud voice booms out and says, let him in, he was born here. Wow. He's prophesying about a day when the nations will come and enter the temple of God. It's an amazing prophecy. And he's talking about a radical idea that hadn't been spoken before, before, being born in Zion. How many of you know that where you were born can be really important in your life and in your opportunities? Yeah. I'm sure most of us in this room were born here in America. And that, come, that brings certain rights and privileges. I hope you know that. Do you know that, 16? Okay. <laughs> Don't forget it. Now, where I do missions work, there's a lot of people down there who wish they were born here. But they weren't. Our two lady friends that are visiting us, they were born in Chile. Guess what? They get to be here for a certain number of days, and then they have to go home.
where you're born can be real important. When I finished college, I spent a time in Dallas, Texas as Teen Challenge Director, a dorm director for Dallas Teen Challenge, and, and then I got married and uh, uh, was an associate pastoral position for some time, and then we wanted to move on into a, a lead pastoral role. We had an eye on missions, and part of the requirements was you had to be lead pastor. You couldn't be a youth pastor. You had to, you know, buck stops here guy. So I talked to my presbyter, North Dallas section, and asked him, you know, is there some church out here, maybe in one of the outlying towns or something, that is looking for a pastor? Someone that would give this 25-year-old kid a shot? And... Uh, my presbyter looked at me and said, well, tell me, son, where were you born? I don't know what that's got to do with it, but, uh, well, I was born in the great state of Iowa. He said, well, that's your problem right there. Because, <laughs> you see, son, down here in Texas, in these little towns, if you weren't born in Texas, uh, you don't stand a chance. So I'm warning you 16 right now. If you ever want to go to Texas, you, you, you're in trouble, okay? <laughs> so we came to Nebraska, where Jim Wilkins opened the door. And we pastored Kimball Assembly of God in the great city of Kimball. How many have ever blown through Kimball? I know, I know. Amen. And uh, the Lord had a good thing going there. Still does. Where you're born is important. And you know what? If you want to go to heaven, it's the same thing. Where were you born? You have to be born again. You have to be born of the Spirit. You have to be born into the body of Christ. Now, here this psalm is prophesying about all this. And let's finish this. The next slide, please. The third truth. This is so cool. Zion is unique. There's only one. But Zion is for everyone. He's prophesying about the nations coming. And it ends on this note. Of these people then understanding and recognizing and celebrating. Zion is our real birthplace. First birth don't count no more. It's the second birth that really counts. It says, as they make music, who's they? The Babylonian guy, the Philistine guy, the Phoenician guy, the people he's talking about. As they make music, they will sing, all my fountains are in you. It's, the scene ends, I can imagine it, with the Babylonian guy and the Philistine guy. They're doing a little river dance number. And they're singing. <laughs> We're home. <laughs> we were born in Zion. We're where we belong. And they sing, all my fountains, all my sources, all my roots, where I come from, what makes me who I am, all my fountains are here now. Not there. It's here. God has uprooted me completely and transported me and replanted me in new soil. All my phones in there singing and dancing and celebrating. That's the picture. This is a pretty cool psalm, isn't it? Don't you think, Rex? Wow. I like it. Now, 
How does all this flesh out for us today? What are the meanings of the Psalm 87 for us today? Well, what we have to understand, next slide please, is that when we read about the temple in Jerusalem, in the Old Testament, but in the Old Covenant, that is a type, that is a prophetic type of the reality in the New Covenant, which is the body of Christ. You see, back in the Old Testament day, the Shekinah glory of God, the Holy Spirit of God dwelt in that temple. Today, since Pentecost, the Holy Spirit of God dwells in us, the body of Christ. And the New Testament says, we are the temple of God. We are like living stones that God is putting together because we are the temple. Look how Hebrews 12 teaches us this and builds that bridge. It says, but you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are written in heaven. He starts talking about Zion and he ends up talking about the church. And who is the church? The ones that are written. The ones who are written in the book. This one was born here. And guess what? Just like the man said, Zion is unique. No one else has got it. Don't waste your time going out somewhere else. This is it. You want to meet God? You come to Zion. Well, guess what? That's the truth today. You want to meet God? You come into the church. You come to Jesus. Look what it says in 1 John 2. Everyone who denies the Son neither has the Father. The one confessing the Son has the Father. It boils down to this. You don't really know God if you don't know Jesus. And this is what our Muslim friends and our Buddhist friends and our Hindu friends and our animistic friends and peoples from around the world. This is why we do missions. Because people everywhere need to understand this. There is only one way to God. And that is through Jesus Christ. If you deny the Son, you don't know the Father. If you want to know the Father, you must confess the Son. That's what it says right there. So the body of Christ is unique. The body of Christ is not just one of a dozen alternative options out there. It is the only option. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one goes to the Father except through me. It's as simple as that, which is why we have to tell them. Look at Colossians 3.11. And just like the psalmist said, Zion is for everybody. It's for everyone. And he talks about all the nations. Guess what it says about the church? It says there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision, uncircumcision, foreigner, Scythian, slave, or freeman. Christ is all things in all. Look at Revelation 5.9. They sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the book and open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. The body of Christ is for everyone. Work with me quickly now. The body of Christ is for this man from India who is torturing himself in his asceticism as he tries to find an encounter with God. Or how about these women in Saudi Arabia who are praying so fervently five times a day, so fervently in their search for God, but coming up empty. Or how about this North Korean soldier 
who has been programmed to be an atheistic killing machine who probably has been in a firing squad shooting down Christian pastors. But let me tell you the truth. Jesus Christ came and died on the cross for this man too. There's room for him in the body. There's a place for him in the temple. But someone has to tell him. Someone has to go there. Or how about this child in Congo, in West Africa, who is perhaps infected with AIDS, suffering from malnutrition, may or may not survive. But Jesus loves these kids, and he says, theirs is the kingdom. That's why we support missionaries. I saw on the wall, you got missionaries in Senegal. Praise God for your missionary in Senegal. God bless him. Or how about this young man in Santiago, Chile? Stay with me on this one for a moment. This was taken in October of 2019. We've had these troubles before, but in October, in the middle of October, there was a coordinated effort and rioting broke out in the entire length of that country that you saw could stretch from Mexico City to northern Canada. Every city. They destroyed, you saw an image of subway stations. Largest subway network in Latin America. They destroyed well over a half of it. Burned the stations down. How do you burn down a subway station? Rolled up newspapers and a box of matches won't do anything. No, what it takes is a van with 55 gallon drums full of diesel fuel. That's how they do it. And how did those things just popped out of nowhere, believe it or not? Yeah, right. Very coordinated, led by the Communist Party. They destroyed and ransacked 34 big box Walmart stores. They burned buses, little mom and pop grocery stores. It was amazing, it was incredible. At that time, I was in a downtown hotel in Santiago, Chile with a wonderful team of volunteers from the great state of Virginia. God bless the Virginians. Tough guys. Most of them were vets. Very capable guys. 16. And it was a Sunday, and all this broke out loose, and we, I said, we're not leaving the hotel today. We're not going, you know, because services were canceled. No transportation. And all of a sudden, a gang of guys like this attacked our hotel. The security of the people in the hotel threw a switch, which put a deadbolt in the glass doors. And about a dozen of them piled up against the doors out on the street. They're banging on the doors trying to get in. I'm about 10 feet away or so with a bunch of the Virginian guys. We're just staring in disbelief. And these crazed young men, 18, 20-year-old young men with the hoods on, are just banging on the doors. Their faces are just filled with fury and fire. And they couldn't get in. And they, someone went around the corner of an alley and they found some cement brick, cement uh, block, and some big stones that someone had left there in a pile, some big round river rock. And they grabbed those things and they stood on the sidewalk and began throwing them against the glass doors. Wham! And the glass didn't break. And uh, they, they just kept throwing it further and harder and harder. It sounded like a thunderclap when it would hit that glass. And you, could, you could feel the shockwave coming off the glass. But it didn't crack. 
And the more it didn't break, the angrier they became. And they were just doing it over and over and over. They kept it up for about five, ten minutes. But the glass held. So they changed plans. They got a bunch of garbage and they made a big pile of it in front of the doors and across the sidewalk and all the way across the street. Set it on fire. Built a big barricade of fire there to keep cars and people from going anywhere. And eventually they moved on. That same crowd went from there to two other nearby hotels. They got inside. They ransacked. They went room to room taking anything they wanted. Five days later, they attacked the five-star Holiday Inn Crown Plaza luxury hotel near the presidential palace. They got inside. They trashed it. They burned the shuttle buses that take the people to the airport. They burned down the kitchen. They burned down the lobby. Millions and millions of dollars of damage done. But they didn't get into our hotel, Rex. You know why? Does anyone in this room know why? This is why. This is why. One of you rascals was praying for us. I don't know which one of you did it, but thank you. Because you're a praying church. You see, folks, that's why I want you to take this card. Because this is serious business. This isn't a souvenir. This is a weapon for spiritual warfare. To tear down the strongholds of the devil and to put a hedge of protection around God's people. So don't leave without that prayer card, folks. Please, I need you to, I need you to help with this. Next slide, please. Let me tell you, when that was happening, when these guys were banging on those doors, I had one thought that came to my mind. The Lord just kept saying to me over and over, he said, Jim, this is why you're here. This is why you're here. As I'm looking into these demonized eyes of these hatred-filled, furious young men, just, just literally sparks shooting from their eyes. The Lord just kept saying, this is why you're here. This is why we do what we do. This is, we want to reach these kids that are living in at-risk conditions with environments of gangs and drugs and alcohol and sex trafficking and all the violence and everything. We need to reach them with the gospel at the earliest possible age so they don't grow up and become like that. They can know there's a better way that God has a plan for their lives. They don't have to do this. They don't, they don't have to give in to the hatred and the fury. We recently were visited by two young, wonderful men that were in our ministry. We, they were with us in January. Uh, and uh, they, they came from just broken home situations, bad situations, uh, messed up situations. And we've just seen how the Lord has led them. One is uh, a school teacher now, math teacher, high school math teacher. And the other one is finishing his degree as a civil engineer. And they're engaged in our missions trips and, and they love the Lord. And, and you see, this is what God wants to do. Next slide, please. This is what it's all about. To reach these kids with the gospel of Jesus Christ. To teach them Christian values so they'll make smart decisions, make right choices for a life partner, for a career, for ministry. This is why we're doing what we're doing. Next slide, please. And the psalm ended by saying Zion is our real birthplace. And guess what? This is also true for us in the New Testament. We discover 
that the body of Christ is our real home. It says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. The son of Korah in the psalm wrote about them singing, all my fountains are in you. And here it's saying the same thing. God, it makes us a new creation. Old things passed away. I don't care what you used to do. I don't care what your daddy did. Don't talk to me about how bad your grandpa was. None of that counts. You are a new creature in Christ. It's all made new. He has wiped the slate clean. He's given you a new start because it's called being born again. Next slide, please. No, I'm sorry. Back up one. Go back to there. Thank you so much. There was a man who came to Jesus one night. You know the story. John 3, Nicodemus, a lawyer, a member of the Supreme Court of Israel, important man. And he came to Jesus and said, he tried to butter him up. He said, Master, we know that no one could do the signs that you do unless God was with him. And Jesus just looked at the man and he borrowed language from Psalm 87. And he said to the man, Sir, you must be born again. And the guy being a lawyer, of course, he tried to, you know, weasel his way out of that one. Well, uh, that doesn't make any sense. And what do you want me to do? Go bother my mother? You know, he said, Jesus said, verily, verily. Another, that's like today he'd say, listen to me. You must be born again. You must be born of the water and the spirit. You must be born from above. Sir, you must be born again. And that's my message for you. Are you born again? Let me ask you this. Folks here and folks watching us on the media, tell me, what's going to happen when you walk up to the gate? Is the angel going to say, sorry, can't find you in the book. We don't know you. Adios. Or will that loud voice boom out and say, let him in. He was born here. Let her in. She was born here. Hallelujah. And let me tell you right now, if you're not sure about that, you can become sure today, right now. All you need to do right now is just open your heart to God. Just cry out to him and say, Lord, I need to be born again. I want this. I need this. So, Lord... Forgive me of my sin. I repent of my sin. And I acknowledge Jesus Christ is my Savior and that he gave his life for me on the cross. Please, Jesus, come into my life. Change me. Transform me. Let it be that I am born again. Write my name down in the book. I need to be born again. If you cry out to God in that manner with all your heart, you will be born again, my friend, and the gate will be open for you. Hallelujah. When that day comes. Praise God. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Would you stand with me real, please, real quickly, please? We're going to wrap this up. What I want to do right now 
is close with a closing prayer. But we're all going to pray together. And we're going to let the psalm do the talking for us. That's what psalms are there for. They are means for us to, to express ourselves to God. So I want you to put yourself in the place of the author. You know, you're the son of Korah now, saying these things, celebrating these things. We're going to recite this together, good and loud, so the folks in Carney can hear us, okay? All right? Carney, new life, look out. We're coming. But we're not just reading, we're praying, we're worshiping, we're praising, we're thanking. And if you want to finish with a little river dance jig, that's just totally fine with me. Are you with me now, folks? Here we go. It's on the screen. Everyone can see it. Here we go. He has founded his city on the holy mountain. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the other dwellings of Jacob. Glorious things are said of you, city of God. I will record Rahab and Babylon among those who acknowledge me. Philistia too and Tyre along with Cush and will say this one was born in Zion. Indeed of Zion it will be said this one and that one were born in her and the Most High himself will establish her. The Lord will write in the register of the peoples, this one was born in Zion. As they make music, they will sing, all my fountains are in you. Hallelujah. Lift your hands. Come on, church. Let's praise him now. Hallelujah. Oh, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Oh, Lord, we love you. Thank you for your word. Let it be so, Lord. Thank you that we have been born in Zion. That you have written our names down in the book. And Lord, let that be so for all the people in Lexington who yet do not know you. Use your church, Lord. Let the church arise. Send your church forth as a great evangelistic expression of the gospel, the love of God, so that people in this city, in this county, in this whole area will know the transforming power of Jesus Christ. Let it be so. Let them be born in Zion. And we all say, Amen. Amen. Pastor Rex, come. Thank you, folks, so much. It's just a blessing to be with you, folks. Thank you. What a great word. Aren't you glad that we can be born again? in Zion. And we can share that with others. So guys, thank you for being here tonight. We do have life groups at 6 o'clock. We have the study of James in here. Uh, in the conference room, we're doing one for new believers or those who are interested in membership. You don't have to come to that to be a member. Uh, but it's just a class on who the church is, what the church is, what it's about. We'd love you to join that. Be here for James. We have for kids. We have middle schoolers. Our high school kids are in here. Uh, we have one for men, Every Man a Warrior. So and we also have Grief Share. If you've lost someone recently, that's a great class to help you get through that, to be a part of that. So we'd love to have you guys there for that. Uh, we also, if you're wondering who this group is on the front row, these are our good friends Mike and Amy Fobear from Joplin, and they're uh, 
boys are graduating this year, Caden and Caleb, they're twins, and so it's possible. You can get your kids through high school alive, so that's good. So these guys have been here hanging out with us this weekend. We're glad to have them. Make sure you greet them. Make sure you go visit uh, Jim's table and greet them. So thanks for being here. See you tonight.